know, every once in a while, I like to uh, continue what I call a hallway conversation into the booth here so that we can talk about it on the air. And uh, Britton Gray joins me now, regular on the Green Zone, our rider reporter, and we were chatting about sports stuff off the air. <laughs> and uh, next thing you know, I'm saying, hey, come on in here. Let's chat for a second. But this is uh, this was a busy weekend in NFL football, of course, this time of year. It starts to heat up even more. It gets interesting, and we saw some pretty good games this weekend. Absolutely, and even the game that wasn't all that close, uh, Baltimore and Houston, Lamar Jackson, how dynamic he is. Mm -hmm. He's just really fun to watch, but the highlight for me was definitely last night's game, Buffalo against Kansas City, just back and forth, these two teams going at it. And now the Buffalo Bills have to kind of really decide what to do because... They're starting to, I see it get, them getting compared to Phillip Rivers Chargers, right? Really good regular season games, yes. but they're running into Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes. They lost to Joe Burrow and the Bengals. This feels like this team with this current core and coaching staff have reached that ceiling. Mm-hmm. So you're not moving off from Josh Allen. Josh Allen's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But the pieces around him, it feels like you have to reconfigure if you're Buffalo. That game, though, that Chiefs-Bills game could have gone either way. And, you know, as I'm watching that kick sail to the right, I'm thinking, laces out, laces out. <laughs> like, oh, how heartbreaking. But, you know, you can't. I can imagine the, the call-in shows after that, people all over that kicker. You really can't put it down to one kick. I mean, it's what we watch, but there's a lot that leads up to that. Absolutely. It's the moment everyone's going to remember, but there's little moments throughout the game that that eventually lead to that moment needing to happen. And and so it, it ultimately comes down to Patrick Mahomes able to continue to find ways to win. And Travis Kelsey, the other wide receivers in Kansas City might not light anyone else up. But that's still one of the greatest tight ends of all time. Mm-hmm. And I think him and Patrick Mahomes now hold the record for most touchdowns between a quarterback, pass catcher duo. And so they have to find a way to stop him. And now we get the, uh, the NFC, the championship games, AFC, NFC, which I think is going to be great football. I yeah. can't wait. I, I question whether Travis got as much. Uh, video screen time as his brother did though yesterday. <laughs> Jason was all over. Like they, they showed him tailgating before the yeah. game, drinking. He was drinking out of a bowling ball at one time. Then every time they'd cut to Taylor Swift, Jason was shirtless behind her in the booth. Like, uh, he was pumped up for his brother. Absolutely. He was having a good time. And if you paid really close attention, you notice Zach Kalaros was at the yeah, game as well. Right. He was that you were watching it, and then you don't think anything of it. All some people are tweeting, and you go back and rewatch the clip, and yeah, Zach's head just That's gets true. in there, and it's always an interesting connection between him and the Kelsey brothers. Of course, he was their quarterback at Cincinnati at the time. Right. So winners over the weekend: Ravens, 49ers, Lions, and Chiefs. Some are talking about the Lions maybe being a team of destiny. Is that what? What do you think as we head into the next weekend here? They're definitely a fun team, and I like the way they play. Play, but going against San Francisco, San Francisco just overall as a team is very deep. I but like the Packers I, almost beat them though. They they do look beatable. That's one thing. Yeah. Though I have to give Brock Purdy credit. I've been on Brock Purdy the entire season. I don't think he can lead a comeback. I don't believe he can lead the comeback in the fourth quarter. Well, he did it. He mm-hmm. didn't make the mistake. But Detroit, I think, is a little bit better than uh, Green Bay. Obviously, they won that division. Green Bay felt like a young team with really nothing to lose, and you could see it in the way Jordan Love was kind of slinging it out there. I I really like Detroit, but I just think the talent that San Francisco has, even if Brock Purdy is average, they have George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey, Fred Warner, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. They have a lot of players who 
are just so dynamic, it will be tough to stop. So are you saying 49ers? I think so. I think I just okay. have to go with San Francisco. Brent Gray is my saying... heart, my heart is out for Detroit. I'd like to see the Lions in what, it. What about the Ravens and the Chiefs? That's going to be interesting because I really I can't find a way to really go against Patrick Mahomes just the way he continues to find ways to win in playoffs. But Lamar Jackson right now is playing his best football. He's really evolved as a passer this season. And we saw it against Houston, how dynamic he is. He was rushing the ball again, something he's kind of uh, leaned away from as he's this whole season as he kind of switched up the offensive philosophy. But he's so dynamic. That Ravens team looks really deep as well. So I, I think you're getting the number one seeds. I think Baltimore will handle business at home. Mm-hmm. I'm not incredibly confident in that because I – it's real tough to pick against Patrick Mahomes. Right. And then, like I said, I think just San Francisco is also too deep when it comes to the talent they have there. When uh, the game was on last night, I was watching it, and Jody came walking into the room. Like, Jody doesn't sit and watch NFL football. And she goes, oh, I love Mahomes. I said, you love Mahomes? <laughs> she said, yeah, I follow him on Instagram. He's such a good family guy. I thought, okay. You know, I mean, it's funny how people's perception, whether you're an NFL fan or not, social media is doing a great job. And and I think this Chiefs team, whether it be through things like that with, with Mahomes or what we see with going on with Kelsey and Taylor Swift, I mean, it's brought a whole new level of awareness. And, and you can't help but think there's a swell of support behind the Chiefs for that. Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of... Uh, they, the Kansas City Chiefs have become the, the Swifty team, right? All the Taylor Swift fans are tuning in, and you're hearing more kind of casual people who don't usually watch football talking about them because they're just in the spotlight. And, of course, that's right. kind of the bump you get. Like you said, social media, they start to learn about these guys and that they're not just football, like they're family guys. Travis Kelsey's podcast is great. Him and his brother are yeah. super hilarious. Hilarious, and- yeah. I'm sure the NFL is loving the uh, publicity they're getting from all of this. Britton Gray is my guest this morning. So before I let you go, just a couple quick things in the sports world. I'm a diehard New York Islanders fan. That was a big announcement the other day. (laughs) Patrick Waugh, the new coach of the New York Islanders. I'm excited about this. Absolutely. He's had success everywhere. He just won the Memorial Cup with Quebec. Yeah. And what I think the best part about Patrick Waugh is kind of, even though he's a little more subdued, is his personality, his feistiness. That's why I think the Islanders have really been missing that fiery personality yeah. behind the team. And that's what I think is the biggest strength he's going to bring. And he's had success in a lot of places he's went. So it, you should be very yeah. excited I, about I this. I am. Hire. And I mean, they won last night. I mean, it was, you know, it was an overtime win and nothing says your first day as coach, you're going to have had any impact on the team, but no different than what we saw in Edmonton when they mm-hmm. changed coaches. It's nice to get that first wind under your belt under a new head, head coach to, to send you in the right direction. So, hey, an overtime win, Bo Horvat scores the, scores the goal, I'll take that. The other thing is, it was just uh, announced, of course, Corey Perry is coming back to the league, to the Oilers. I was uh, chatting this morning with Greg Morgan, who's a big fan of the Oilers. I'm saying, look, the Oilers are are on a tear. 13 straight wins, hoping for 14. They've set the new Canadian record in terms of the number of wins by a Canadian NHL team. Is Corey Perry going to be a distraction to them, or will he be actually additional firepower? I don't think he's going to be a big distraction. It will be a little bit there. Firepower, I don't think that's the right word for Corey Perry. What Corey Perry is going to bring is, is that extra grit and willing to kind of maybe step over the line in some cases to irritate another team. And he's been on deep playoff runs. He's won a cup, right? So, and that's really what this Oilers team is missing. That guy who's 
been to the cup and went on a deep run and knows what it takes. And that's why I feel like this signing was there more come playoffs. This team, they're on, was it 13 wins now? Yeah. Looks like they're going to make playoffs again. Sure. And now you add that playoff grit experience. And like I said, that guy who kind of has that reputation, who toes the line, sometimes crosses it in situations. But I think that's going to help this Oilers team because let, let Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl do all the pretty things, get all the goals, and Corey Perry will be out there and uh, irritating the stars of the other team. <laughs> All right, one quick uh, venture into curling here because we saw some some great curling over the weekend. Skylar Ackerman and her Saskatoon wink, uh, rink have won it all now, and they are wearing the green jackets heading into the, the Scotties in Calgary. Yeah, kind of a real injection of youth into uh, Team Saskatchewan at the Scotties. It's been Sherry Anderson had won the Provincials for a long time, Robin Silvernagel, uh, Penny Barker's won it, but Skylar Ackerman, 22-year-old skip. Like, you talk about a young team Mm -hmm. getting a chance to go up against uh, teams who've been curling just as long as they might have been alive, right? Jennifer Jones has been around for a long time. And, And so really interested to see how they handle the pressure of the national stage now. But as a young team, you kind of go in there. You have nothing to lose. It's your first time there. You're the young, going to be the youngest team there. Just take it all in. Don't worry about the mistakes. And at some point, you think they're going to be back because of how young they are. And just take it all in and get used to what it's like to play against Olympians, world champions in that. At that level, for sure. Uh, hey, I go, I got the writer reporter here. I haven't asked you a writer question, but we just saw a signing from the writers, Britain. Yeah, Brett Lothar is back for three years. That's a long extension in terms of the CFL. The, Brett Lothar, he's been consistent. Now, last year, I know a lot of people didn't view him as having his best year, but he was hurt during a, a stretch of that in the beginning, and you could tell that just affected uh, the coach's trust in him kicking long field goals, which is what Brett Lothar is really good at. Would it. he have made the 44-yard Buffalo Bills field goal? I think so. <laughs> okay. I think Brett could have because he's been actually really, really good in the clutch as well. Yeah, uh, I think he's good on, I'd have to go back and check my article, but nine or ten straight kicks with the game on the line tied or to take the lead. Right. He's very good in the clutch. It was just he was a little injured last year. He didn't have as much leg as last year due to that injury, but he is a very good kicker, and that shores up that position where you don't have to worry about it. If you have trust in a kicker, it affects your coaching because instead of, oh, do I have to go for it, just send Brett out there and get three points. Good stuff. Well, thanks for popping in. Appreciate you uh, checking in with us today, Britton. No problem. Britton Gray, who is the writer-reporter and regular on the Green Zone, catching us up on all the sports stuff over the weekend. You're listening to 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Appreciate you being part of the conversation. Just shy of lunchtime, but no school bells will be ringing for lunch today. Teachers are on Day two of a strike, not day two consecutive. They did one day last week. They've got today planned. No information about further strike days. I'm guessing, I'm I'm pretty much guaranteeing there will be more job action of some sort, whether it be another strike day or a longer succession of days in a row for a strike or other possible job action they might take. This morning we opened it up. In fact, we we did an open hour where you could talk about anything. 95% of the people that called in and texted in wanted to talk about teaching. Nick in Saskatoon texted in a well-timed teacher strike today when Saskatoon kids are off for teacher development anyway. Public sentiment still on teacher's side, but that will 
maybe loosen with a wider strike. Professionals like physicians, teachers, and nurses should have an obligation to rise above holding public hostage. Government needs to fund more EAs and teachers preemptively to win back that support. Nick, thanks so much for texting that in. Lots of people texting their their thoughts in, and especially after we talked with STF President Samantha Beacott. She was my guest this morning just after 8.30. We talked about a whole bunch of things, but one of the things I wanted to try and hammer down was this notion of wage increase, because there seems to be some discrepancy as to what the numbers are. So the province has offered 7% over three years. The teachers are asking for 2% a year for four. So that's 8% over four years plus cost of living. And so cost of living in some months or in some years has been quite high. I asked STF President Beacott, any idea is 2% a year for four years plus cost of living what does that actually equal in terms of a total raise over four? I don't have a crystal ball, so I don't know uh, what cost of living is going to be in the future. I know that last year's cost of living was right around 6.6%. Uh, this year's looks like uh, we're getting closer to uh, 4% over the last year. And um, it's, it's difficult to predict that. Unfortunately, over the last two contracts, teachers have uh, essentially experienced an 8.5% loss in purchasing power because their salary increases haven't kept up with the uh, cost of living increases. And actually, over my entire career as a teacher, there have only been two years where teachers' salary increases have exceeded the cost of living increases. Um, and one thing that's interesting to point out people may not be aware of is uh, MLAs have protection around cost of living included within their salary. Um, and so... We, we, yes, are absolutely are focusing on class complexity. That is, that is our focus um, at the table as well as in the public. Salary is a proposal that we've put forward. Um, it's the government bargaining team that has actually pushed that aside and said we need to discuss everything else until we get or before we get to, um, before we get to that salary proposal. So to, to characterize it as a demand, as we've heard from the Minister of Education, is absolutely false. Um, we were ready to negotiate on all of the items that we've put forward, and we just need government willing to do the same. So the, you know, if, again, if I'm using, you talked about six point whatever percent uh, increase last year, we're looking at maybe four this year. So that would be in a couple of years, 10% in cost of living. If you were successful in getting that full cost of living increase, plus the two, 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 and two that you're looking for, that's 18. The government is throwing out a number of 23.5. At the end of the day, it's, it's safe to say this is going to be potentially well into the double digits, if not over 20% over a four-year contract, if you were successful in getting that. Do you, do you think it's reasonable to see that, uh, President Beacott, knowing that you know, I, I know that there's lots of, of, of unions that would work to try and get cost of living plus, you know, their merit increase over and above that. Is that doable in this in this time? Uh, well, we recognize that it is. Uh, those are those are large numbers when we're looking at cost of living. Everyone is impacted by that cost of living increase. And teachers have clearly said across the province that they do need protections. We have also seen other provinces include those cost of living protections in their agreements. And there's ways of doing that uh, and and protecting um, or putting a a kind of a range in terms of a protection. And again, like I said, MLAs have this included within 
uh, their salary increase increases as well. So if, if it's doable for MLAs, I don't see why it's not doable um, for others in in the province. And and again, we are we haven't even got to those discussions at the table. Um, we we have been trying to get the issues around class size and class complexity addressed, uh, and we haven't engaged or government hasn't engaged with us. Uh, around any of the other proposals that we have brought forward. They continue to say no on every single item, uh, and that's not what negotiations should look like. So I'd be happy to have the conversations with the bargaining teams at the table, um, but but we need both sides willing to, to have a conversation. SDF President Samantha Beacott, who joined me first thing this morning. And again, I appreciate all of you weighing in with your thoughts and texts. This conversation continues right here on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM.